So a few weeks ago, we met an unnamed woman at a well in Samaria, a foreign country of sorts for Jesus and his pals. And it was to this unnamed foreigner, a woman no less, that Jesus first declared, I am, using the introduction that God used with Moses way back at the burning bush, I am. In declaring this bold statement to this unnamed woman, Jesus was telling her and us that he is indeed the word incarnate, the word made flesh, God, here and now, I am. Jesus will use this bold declaration again in John's gospel, and of course, it inflames the sensibilities of the Jewish leadership, for in declaring I am, Jesus is declaring, I am God, and of course that doesn't go over too well with those in charge. Now today, we hear Jesus again declare, I am, but this time it has a descriptive term after it. I am the bread of life. There will be seven versions of this kind of I am statement in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. Now, both types of I am statements are powerful. The standalone name I am and the descriptor name I am the. And if we remember that John's Jesus is always pointing us to the character of God, always revealing more deeply who God is, then all of these statements become keys not only to Jesus, but to God the creator as well. All of these I am descriptor statements tell us something about who God is. So today we will hear and ask what it means for Jesus to tell us he is the bread of life. Because in essence, he is also telling us that God is the bread of life. As Jesus is the word made flesh who existed with God from the beginning, remember the chapter 1 prologue that we keep returning to. Now, much of John's gospel follows a pattern. Jesus performs some miraculous sign. Remember, they are never called miracles in this gospel. Those who witness it don't understand what it means, and they ask a lot of questions. And then Jesus finally explains what it all means, but those explanations often leave us just as confused as the ones who witnessed the sign. Today's sign was the feeding of 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and then having lots and lots of leftovers. Leftovers to fill the refrigerator for weeks. It is beyond our ability to imagine the abundance of this meal. It is every hostess's best dream it is grace upon grace. It is the food version of the water turned into wine story. And of course, the people don't really get it. They ask, where can we get this bread all the time? They want to make Jesus their king. They are stuck once again on the sign itself. And so Jesus launches into a long and repetitive explanation, an explanation that actually goes on verse after verse after verse. And it is in that explanation that we hear the clue whenever Jesus says, truly I tell you, that is the moment that always signals to us, pay attention, here it comes, here is the explanation. And what is the explanation Jesus gives? I am the bread of life. When Jesus tells us he is the bread of life, 
he tells us basically he is essential to our life. Bread was an indispensable component of life in Jesus' world. It was required for survival. So when Jesus says he is the bread of life, what he is telling us is you need me. You need me, Jesus, every single day. You cannot live without me. I am the necessary part of a fulfilling and true life, a life that reaches its potential in God's dreams for peace, for contentment, for compassion, for love. The bread of life is what fills us in ways that mere bread simply cannot. It gets deeper, of course. I am the living bread. I am the bread come down from heaven. I am the living bread come down from heaven. And then the promise. Whoever eats this bread will have eternal life. Now remember, eternal, as used in this gospel, does not mean forever. It is a, not a word describing quantity, like time. It is a word describing quality. Eternal is full, complete, abundant. Abundant. These are the qualities of life that Jesus promises to those who come into relationship with him. Again, remember, John doesn't care at all what we know about Jesus. John just cares that we know Jesus intimately, personally, with all our senses. John's purpose is to bring us into relationship with the word made flesh into deep and abiding relationship. So, here is Jesus facing a crowd that he has just fed to their fill. It is indeed the day after Thanksgiving, if you will. Folks are more than satiated. They have had more than enough at this abundant banquet. And Jesus basically tells them, this isn't it. This isn't what it's about. There is more, so much more to life, to the life I want and dream for each of you. Yes, we need to eat, we need bread every day to survive physically. But is that what life is truly about? Survival? For some in this world, unfortunately, that is the need that must be met first. But for the rest of us, for those 5,000 plus gathered on that mountainside whose bellies are full and satisfied, what do they need? What do we need? We need Jesus. We need the bread of life. Life that teems with meaning and purpose, with love and compassion. Life that spills out of us into the world in joy and gratitude. Life. We can be alive, but not have life. We can move through the motions, punching the clock, but not be truly living. Our hearts can beat, our lungs can breathe, yet we can be dead inside. We can eat our fill of bread every single day and yet still hunger and thirst for something, something more. And many of us cannot even identify what it is inside of us that is empty, what it is that we want more of. Our culture of consumerism tells us that that hole inside, that hollowness that we feel every day can be filled with stuff, more and more stuff. Technology that wows the mind. Clothes that fill multiple closets. Kitchen cabinets overflowing with set upon set of dishes and cookware. Fancy cars, far off vacations. The list is endless of what the culture would tell us will fill the hole. And yet still, we want for more. 
because the wanting and the emptiness is real. It's the way that we go about satisfying that wanting that leads us into trouble, that leads us away from what will truly fill us and end our persistent sense of lack. And so we are just like those on the mountainside near Jerusalem, filled to the gills with all that we could eat of barley loaves and fried fish, yet begging for more. And Jesus says to them and to us, you don't really know what you need or what you want. Invite me into your life. Let me be the bread every day, and you will be filled to the gills with true life, life that matters on the deepest levels, life that is not about mere survival or getting by or mastering the rat race, but a life of deep joy, of purpose, of love, of meaning, and freedom. Freedom from all that plagues your dreams at night. Freedom from the worries of this world. Freedom to find your true self, your true nature. Freedom to be who God hopes and intends you to be. Because survival is not the message of the gospel. The gospel is about the freedom we find in Christ, the eternal and abundant life that is possible right now when Christ is our daily bread. So, what does this eternal life I keep talking about really look like? Well, I would put some of these quantifiers on it. It is trust that you are never alone a sure and certain sense of that in your gut. It is the security that you are able with the living Christ by your side to weather life's storms. It is the deep knowledge of how deeply loved you are by God, which of course leads you to an acceptance of yourself and an inner love of yourself that then allows you to love everyone else. This eternal abundant life gives you a heart that is open to everyone and everything that enters your life. Now, don't misunderstand. Abundant life does not mean you will never meet any struggles. It does not mean you will never feel pain or loss. It does not mean you will not stumble and fall every now and then. But with the living Christ, the bread of life, those situations and events will have no power to do you in. They will not be able to overcome who you are. They will not leave you tattered and torn and unrecognizable. Because an eternal and abundant life right now is a life that is seeded in joy even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Now, joy is not happiness, and it is much different from happiness. Happiness, as I think I've said before in this pulpit, is situational. And happiness is great. If a situation arises that creates happiness for you, that's wonderful. Enjoy it while it's there. But joy is an inner condition it is a state of being from which we operate, no matter the circumstances around us. This eternal and abundant life allows us to let go of our need for more of everything else, everything that does not truly satisfy at the deepest level, because we are already filled. We already have what we need to live in joy.
Now, certainly God wants us to enjoy the gifts of this world. The incarnate God means that the tangibles, God wants us to know that everything in this world comes from that, right? And so everything in this world is good. So the beautiful creations that humans make, the amazing inventions we come up with, the delicious foods we share, God wants us to enjoy all of that. The difference is we no longer need those things or think we need them to be satisfied, to feel filled. We know we truly have what we need without even one thing of this material world because we live in deep and abiding relationship with the bread of life, receiving daily all that we need not just to survive but to thrive. And believe me, when we live that way, we have found the freedom from the material world that has so many of us in chains. Okay, you might say, this sounds terrific, but how do I get this daily bread from heaven? Remember, John wants us to be in relationship with Jesus, not just to know about Jesus, and it's really as simple as it sounds. If you want to be in relationship with another person, what do you do? It's not enough to know about that person, how tall they are, what size shoe they wear, where they were born, where they live. Knowing about someone isn't knowing them. To know them, we must spend time with them, right? So, how do we spend time with God, with the living Christ? It's not a trick question, but I know it can be tricky to answer because it is a bit different than spending time with another person who has our same form, who is a living, breathing entity here and now. But it is a question that can be answered because you do need to spend time with God daily. So here are a few of my suggestions. My hunch is you have many more of your own. First, I would say, Talk with God, not just to God, but with God. Speak your mind and your heart, and then allow times of silence, time for God to answer you, like in a regular relationship, and trust that God has heard and will answer you. Now, maybe you do this through forms of prayer that you use. Maybe you do this by taking walks in nature. Maybe you do this by meditating but talking with God and allowing space for God to answer you. Write letters to God. Pick up a pen and paper or even a tablet or a computer and just let stream of consciousness take over, meaning just let your thoughts flow to God. Don't edit, don't judge, don't critique, just write. Maybe even set a timer, five minutes, then close it up and come back the next day for more. Sing with God. Put on your favorite music. It doesn't have to be church music, but music you love, music that moves you emotionally, and sing your heart out for and to God. I've been known to dance with God. Do whatever you want, but think about what you would do in a relationship with someone you loved. The point is we really do have to devote time daily to God if we want all that this living bread promises us. But isn't that the truth with any relationship that is worthwhile in life? Think of your closest relationships. How do they grow and thrive and deepen? Through time together, 
through intentional input. And our relationship with God is no different. And then you need to pay attention to all sorts of things. Folks ask me all the time, how do I know God is speaking to me? And this is where I think living in our particular culture can be a hindrance. We live in a time and a place that is head-based. The intellect supposedly holds all the answers to all the questions. Reason rules and sets the direction. The trouble is, God speaks to us through experience. And individual experience cannot be quantified or codified. It can only be experienced. And then the question becomes, do we trust our experience or not? And in our culture, unfortunately, the usual answer is no, we don't trust it. So God speaks to us in many ways, but we have a hard time hearing. So what are some of those ways? Well, for me, God speaks to me through the beauty of the created world. When I look at a shining sliver of a new moon against a velvet black sky and feel shivers down my spine, that is God reaching out to me. When I am awed and overcome by the brilliance of a sunset ablaze with oranges and reds and pinks and purples, that is God reminding me of the vastness and the beauty that my intellect can never create on its own in a million years. When my intuition is telling me to pick up the phone and call someone, that is God nudging me to be in partnership with God. When I am overcome with a sense of joy or love that I have no words for, that is God making God's self known to me in that moment. When tears spring up out of nowhere, God wants my attention. When I have no words to describe some great experience or some knowing in my soul, that is God's language. So when you have a firm sense of rootedness and security, despite a situation of grief or rockiness or uncertainty, that is God reminding you that you are not alone. Think about moments when your breath is taken away. Or times when you do indeed hear that silent voice in your head nudging or giving direction. When your heart is beating wildly with love and compassion, all of these can be experiences of God if we can open ourselves to that reality. But the catch, as I said, is that we are caught in our culture to dismiss them, to brush them off, to ignore them. Intuition is laughed at or questioned at its best Gut feelings are dismissed as indigestion. So trying to move from headspace to heart space is a must to be able to know the living Christ, to have the living Christ provide the bread of life every day, but it is difficult with the ways that we have been taught. So trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your experiences. Don't be quick to dismiss thoughts that pop into your head, especially repeatedly, feelings in your heart and gut, tears for no reason. Trust your experiences and know that that is how God tries to be in relationship with us. Richard Rohr gives some practical advice about all of this. He says, listen for a deeper voice that is not our own. 
If it is God's voice, it will never shame or frighten us, but rather strengthen us even when it is challenging us. So if the voice you're hearing is, you're no good, don't do that, you shouldn't, that's not God. Richard goes on to say, if we are experiencing any of the fruits of the Spirit, which I will remind you are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if you are experiencing any of those fruits, you can trust that this is from the Spirit, from the deeper stream of wisdom. So I invite you to accept the gift of the living bread from heaven by entering into a deep relationship with the living Christ, a relationship that promises an eternal, abundant, full life filled with gratitude in the here and now. This is what a life with Jesus looks like, tastes like, feels like. It is wine, it is bread, it is water, it is fellowship and laughter and love, gratitude and joy, fullness and plenty, overflowing grace upon grace, meeting our every real need every day. Amen.